Rudy, I am very excited for today's episode because we are bringing back the deep dives. I know in previous episodes we talked about how we were going to bring those back. And today is your lucky day, Goldcast listeners, because we are doing a deep dive on the extraordinary college football playoff national championship between the Ohio State Buckeyes and the Alabama Crimson Tide. Okay, okay, wait, wait, wait. Hold on, Ray. Hold on, Ray. Aren't we a Bay Area podcast? Uh, we are. We are. You know, never mind. We'll just uh, we'll do some Niners, some Warriors, maybe talk a little NFL playoffs, and uh, screw amateur football. All right. I like it. That's a great idea. And why don't you let them know where can they find us? You can always find us, uh, follow us on Instagram at the Goldcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at the underscore Goldcast. And be sure to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, YouTube, anywhere that podcasts are syndicated, we can be found under the moniker the Goldcast. And if you do follow us on YouTube, make sure to hit the little notification bell because that way you get notified on when our episodes go live to the interwebs on the line, as we like to say. And be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a comment because that also feeds into the algorithm of YouTube. Just a different beast over there. So we always want to take advantage of what's going on with their system. So join the conversation, be a part of the fun, and get inside of that Bay Area sports talk. Yeah. All right. As Raymond mentioned, Today, we're going to be going into, we're looking at, obviously, the moves surrounding Robert Salah and Adam Peters. That's first and foremost. We're going to also be talking about some potential candidates that could take their place. Then, of course, we're going in to some Warriors talk. We're looking at the games that have already been played, and we'll be looking ahead towards the rest of the week. And then ending with our playoff pool. Last week, when we ended this episode, Ray, we were talking about the Seahawks, and I already said, if you lose one week, you're eliminated. So what did I do? We're going to find out in the show. But first, the greatest podcast intro in the game is about to drop. Your professor of fanalism, I'm in the building. The greatest fanalist in the game, he's in the building too. Classes in session. Let's go. San Francisco, are you ready? This is the Gold Cast. Boom! Welcome to another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Suisse III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Salisa first, baby. Roll Tide. Boom. Just kidding. We're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> not doing that shit. <laughs> yeah, we don't really follow college sports in any way, shape, or form unless it has to do with the draft for the Niners. But so here we are. Uh Raymond. It is, even though the offseason has begun for the 49ers, it is still a lot of impact because we, as we know, we could be potentially facing a very different version of this team, both on the field and in the front office. And we're going to be focused on the front office today. In particular, we're looking at the movement surrounding Robert Salah and his potential leaving the 49ers as defensive coordinator and then moving in as the head coach of a team and... Of course, our VP of player personnel, Adam Peters, the national scout behind Denver's success when they had went through their two Super Bowl runs, and then obviously one of our major, major cogs, one of our big secret weapons inside the front office. They have both 
been requested for second interviews, Raymond. Why don't you let the Goldcast know, though, where is the deal? Who are they being? Who's speaking to them? And who, what, what two positions are they for? What, what teams are they with right now? So as it relates to Robert Sala, we know that Robert Sala has been given a second interview request by the New York Jets. And the New York Jets actually have reached out to quite a few, eight total candidates Robert Sala seems to be the front runner so far, but we know they've always also reached out to Aaron Glenn, the Saints DB's coach. We know they've reached out to Brandon Staley, the Rams defensive coordinator. They've also reached out to, and this is a surprise, Marvin Lewis, the ASU defensive coordinator, the one coach who could not get past the playoffs in seven, uh, seven playoff appearances. Poor guy. Poor Cincinnati. Uh, Arthur Smith, the Titans offensive coordinator. Not bad, considering that team really struggles more on defense than anything else. Brian DeBall, the Bills offensive coordinator, who's worked wonders with Josh Allen. That's actually a solid pick right there. Matt Eberfluss, the Colts defensive coordinator. They've been one of the top defenses the last couple years. And, of course, our very own Robert Sala. But Robert Sala, as you mentioned, has already gotten a second bid to go back out there. He's taking care of that today, I believe. And so that typically means that he has impressed this franchise from the first interview and seems to be like, hey, we want to hear what this guy has to say again because we really like the prospect of this potential marriage. And we'll have to see who else they invite for a second interview, if anybody. If somebody else shows up on the list, that's a good thing for 49er fans. That just means there's a chance that he comes back as a defensive coordinator. And if we don't hear any inklings from like an Adam Schefter or Ian Rappaport, then that could very well mean that, you know, he's uh, on his way out or to, to, to join the Jets, which to me would be a horrible decision. Um, I think they have decent, they have done some decent work in the draft category, but I mean, they just got rid of Jamal Adams, who was a three-time Pro Bowl safety that they drafted. Why they were not able to retain him is beyond me. They have Sam Darnold, who's still, you know, you're still trying to maximize that potential, but not a whole you don't have a running back you don't have a wide receiver you don't have a good competent line you don't have a good defense there's just a lot of holes and work that needs to be done with that team i just think that the chargers would be a better fit um houston would be my ideal fit but houston didn't even bother reaching out to robert sala which tells me that they are thinking more offense uh they want to get an offensive mind into that locker room versus a defensive mind even though they struggle on both sides well, they also, I don't know if you know, they looks like they did listen to Deshaun Watson and have requested an interview with Biennemi from the Chiefs as of today. Now, unfortunately, Biennemi's in that window where he cannot speak to them. But uh, that also kind of affects Niners because if is going out there to interview them, if they're willing to wait for him, the chances of a possible, already pretty far-fetched, but possible trade uh, uh, to obtain Deshaun Watson, I think pretty much ends with Biennemi if Biennemi were to join the staff. I already, We already here at the Goldcast, I think you and I both agree that that already is pretty far-fetched. It's a wonderful pipe dream that we all love to think about on a daily basis as we sit here during the offseason. But in reality, it's, I mean, what GM is going to give up Deshaun Watson as, the, as at the beginning of his tenure. He'd be out of his mind. Nick Casario, the, the current GM over there. Nick Casario, as we said last week. Yeah, who was just hired. He was just hired there. So that would be his first big move after they already traded. 
uh, DeAndre Hopkins and didn't really get much back. They got him for nothing. Um, and not only that, Deshaun Watson had a statistically better year in the absence of DeAndre Hopkins. Maybe the absence of, of you know, his uh, security blanket actually put him in a position where he statistically had a better season than he did the, the season, the, any season he'd have with DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah. So they'd be out of their minds to get rid of him, to trade him for, to the 49ers. And Biennemi going out there, if Biennemi goes out there and interviews and gets a job, it's a wrap. I mean, I already think the fact that Biennium is even being interviewed, it's a wrap. You could pretty much call it right there. I think so. I think the fact that they're, again, I would, the fact that he's been working with Patrick Mahomes the past few seasons and Deshaun Watson, in my opinion, is the next best quarterback in the National Football League. That's no slight against Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees or Tom Brady. But the new guard, as it stands now in my book, is Mahomes and Deshaun Watson as the number one and number two punch in the NFL. Both, uh, coincidentally, play for the AFC. Um, and um, so why not get the guy who has helped groomed the best quarterback in all of football and help him groom the second best quarterback in all of football? Uh, you can't go wrong with that marriage, in my opinion. It would be silly not to hire the Chiefs OC. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that just kind of, we went off on a little bit of a tangent there, but let's let's focus back on uh, Robert Salah and, of course, Adam Peters and the movement there. Let's finish up your talk there where you were at with that. Yeah, so Adam Peters, uh, you, you, uh, you, he got requested for a second interview for um, the, the Carolina Panthers GM job. And coincidentally, Martin Mayhew, who's one of our uh, executives and works with player personnel with, along with Adam Peters and John Lynch, he, and also the former GM of the Carolina Panthers, has been requested for a GM interview with the Washington football team. So we have another another cog, not as important, although he does he he has done. I haven't heard any negative things about him since he's been with us, and just having another mind with GM experience helping us evaluate talent is never a bad thing. So the the potential of losing him, you know, might be something there too. I don't know if they have aspirations to promote him. Back to VP, but I mean, why do that when he's already been a GM and he has a potential of going back to be a GM? So it's like you take you you can either maybe get a potential promotion as VP with the Niners, or you can go back to the job you truly want, which is a GM over in Washington. Which, by the way, um, made the playoffs, albeit with a losing record. But you have a good coach, you have a good defense. You just need to shore up the offense, and you've got <laughs> baby, you got a stew going. <laughs> but, um, but uh, you know, you have to go to the um, professional football podcast for more information on what's going on with that team. I don't know where else they can get that information from, uh, Rudy. Maybe you have an idea. Well, you'd, al you'd also have to go to the one we mentioned before, which is almost impossible to find via a search engine. It's, it's now just called Football Podcast. And uh, unfortunately, the generalization of the name makes it virtually impossible to look up in a Google search, but uh, they've got four subs and we always like to give them a little shout out and uh, you know, best of luck to them. Uh, Raymond, let's talk about potential candidates to fill these two major positions in particular, our defensive coordinator, Robert Salah, and of course our VP of player personnel, Adam Peters. So why don't you start Raymond and let us know who you think maybe a couple of possible candidates are for the defensive coordinator position. And then I'm going to go who I think are some possible, possible 
people to replace Adam Peters in the front office? You know, defensive coordinator's tough because uh, I'm not sure. I mean, we've talked about this possibility. We know that Vic Fangio's probably going to get another crack at the Denver head coaching job. He would be pretty ideal. We know that uh, there are some other candidates floating around there, uh, position, positions. Like, you know, For example, some of the names even mentioned for the Jets head coaching job. Uh, Aaron Glenn, the Saints DB coach. You know, I know that James Woods, who was the defensive uh, backs coach for the Niners, is now the defensive coordinator for, I believe, Cleveland. Is Cleveland or Cincinnati? I think Cleveland, um, who's in the playoff run right now and who has played played exceptional, uh, better defense than they did the previous year. So that's a potential candidate. Um, I actually think that Marvin Lewis, despite his shortcomings as a head coach, was an excellent defensive coordinator. He was the one that led the charge with Brian Billick as a defensive coordinator for the Ravens when they were a dominant defense, one of the greatest of all time. So he certainly knows defense and would not, I actually wouldn't mind him in that role. It's the head coaching role that he struggled at, not defensive coordinator. Defensive coordinator, he happens to be an exceptional mind in that position. That would be a pretty good candidate on my end. Um, but I know that you also have some pretty good candidates for the Adam Peters replacement, and I thought they were pretty good. Uh, remind me who those guys were, because I, I can't remember. Great. I'm going to start there. Now, it's important also to note that the second interview that Adam Peters has been requested, that the Panthers have requested for Adam Peters, there he is not alone. So this isn't a guarantee that Adam Peters is gone. We also have the second interview has been requested for uh, the Buffalo Bills assistant general manager, Joe Schoen. And Cleveland Browns Vice President of Football Operations has a pretty tricky name. Uh, Kwesi Adolfo Mensah, I believe is how you say his name. So Adam Peters, it's not a lock that Adam Peters is going to go and we're going to lose him. I think it's important to note that. But if we did lose him, I went through some of the front offices of three very successful teams that, uh, that, I, think, that I think are worthy of note for the past five years. I went with the Chiefs. I went with the Steelers, and I went with the Saints. So Chiefs first. Now, I think it's also important to note, Raymond, kind of like you were talking a little bit before about defensive coordinator, you know, these rules, they, these 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 positions sometimes aren't one-to-one -one from one team to the next. So what a position is called in San Francisco may not be what it's called in another team. So I went with, I went with players that – I went with – I'm sorry. I went with uh, scouts that were either – uh, listed as the national scout or listed as something lower than what appeared to be the vice president of player personnel or what, lower than the vice president of player personnel on these respective teams. So with the Chiefs, I started with the director of college scouting, which is what Adam Peters was in Denver. And the guy, the guy we have here is, I believe you say his name is Ryan. I believe is how you pronounce it or Ryan. I think it's Ryan. Nut is his name. Okay. Then, uh, or Newt, I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce his name. The assistant director of players personnel, there's two of them. There's Mike Bradaway and Ryan Poles, okay? Next we have, in the Steelers, we have college scouting coordinator Phil Creedler. And then we have the college scouting, the second college scouting co coordinator, Ron Hughes. For the Saints, we have... The uh, VP Assistant General Manager for College Personnel, Jeff Ireland. 
and then we have two national scouts I chose, the two top listed national scouts, Mike Baugh and Terry Wooden. So those are all just names to keep an eye on if Adam Peters makes the move. Take a look, re, look, think about those names, memorize those names. Those are the guys I'm just thinking of. I would have never thought to grab Martin Mayhew from the Detroit Lions back when they grabbed him from um, as a former GM to be part of the scouting team. So obviously, the, who the Niners know in that position is going to be way deeper than anyone I know. But those are just names that we should be aware of. Those are just like. That's just Rudy's wish list, basically, of guys that I would like and hope would get the interview. There could be people within the 49ers front office that they believe are already deserving of the job. You never know. But either way, I think Adam Peters is going to be could be the toughest person to replace in our front office staff. Uh, Robert Salah. Uh, is very good, and it, but I, tr- I for some reason I trust them to pu- to 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 fulfill that position easier than the scouting position. I don't know. Does that feel right to you as well? Yeah, I, I yeah I I think defensive coordinator. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And and for those of you who may be wondering why I didn't mention a few other names, I mean Gus Gus Bradley signed with the Raiders today, so he's off the list of potential candidates for defensive coordinator for the 49ers. I know Dan Quinn was a possibility because he was the great coordinator for the Seattle Seahawks when they made their run and just has not been able to do anything with Atlanta since their lone Super Bowl run. And he actually signed with the Dallas Cowboys to replace Mike Nolan, former head coach of the 49ers. So those two candidates are off the table, and I thought that either one of them would have been solid picks. And I would have had them on the list, but unfortunately they signed with teams today. So they are officially gone. And Robert Salah is not officially gone either. Um, But... I still think there's a high probability that he gets hired this season, by, uh, hired by another team this year. It's important to note that this is very much in play. All right, Raymond, let's move on to our boys, Warriors. Warriors in full swing, our scrappy Warriors team. Let's make the move right now. Boom. Here we go. Warriors talk. Uh, we had two big games. We had the second of the back-to-back uh, matchup against the Clippers, and then of course uh, the Raptors came into town, which were always, they're always going to be linked at least during this era to the 2019 uh, Finals loss. So it's always it's always it's always a, I think a little bit of extra juice when the Raptors are in town right now, as it stands in this current era. But Warriors win both games and are above 500 again. The the Clippers really, it was a really competitive game, and then the Warriors just pulled it out again with a lot of help from our bench. Bazemore played really strong. Pascal played really strong. Uh, Wiggins with a nice dagger at the end of the game to really kind of help us seal the deal. And just an overall, another strong game for the Warriors. It's funny, as we were, as you're going through that game, they kept talking about how if Steph gets over, th- over 30, the Warriors have yet to lose a game. And he was, you could see him trying to get there, trying to get over 30. It was a great win for the Warriors, a bad loss for the Clippers. And uh, I want to hear your thoughts on this game and then heading into that Raptors game. You know, for the for the Clippers game, I thought there was a bigger defensive effort in the second go round. They actually beat them by double digits, which was not the case when the Clippers won the first time around in the first game. So I thought the Warriors really changed, uh, were able to kind of adjust and they they blew them out, you know, in the fourth quarter, 34 to 18 versus losing the first and second quarter. 
And they, but they again, they lost the first half of the game in terms of scoring differential. But then third and fourth quarter, the Warriors were able to turn it on, beating them thirty to twenty-two in the third, and then as I mentioned, thirty-four to eighteen in, in the fourth. But defensively, they had thirteen steals to the the Clippers six steals. So big difference there on defense. You know, uh, three-point shooting was forty-eight percent. Everyone shot well. Again, the uh, Curry uh, Curry didn't have to do much in this game because the supporting cast played as well, played more to their potential is how I would put it. And when they do that, you can see that they're more than capable of beating playoff contending teams as they've done a couple of times already this season. I mean, they're six and four right now. This is, that's just a surprise. I'm very pleased with the six and four record. Um, despite the fact that this team can actually get better, that's, that's the, the, the cherry on top is they can get better than this. Um, especially with the way that Wiseman has come out the gate. That's been a huge surprise and looks to be potentially one of the big steals of the NBA draft this season. I thought the Warriors were great at the free throw line. They were 15 of 18, about the same, uh, a tick uh, tick under what the Clippers were able to do at 84%, 11 for 13. So I, I really liked everything I saw from the Warriors during this Clippers contest. I thought it was a huge turnaround. And the fact that they beat them better than the Clippers beat them they beat the Clippers better than the Clippers had beat them in the first game. I thought that was very encouraging going forward, uh, not only offensively, but more importantly, defensively, because I feel like that's going to be one of the team's biggest strengths. This I completely agree. They've held the last four teams to under 110 points, four teams in a row. I like. I feel like Wiggins' development right now, he's getting better and better every single game. And I want to turn our attention, Raymond, because we – as we talked about, we saw we saw that uh, Steph, every time he gets over 30, they win. Every time under 30, they don't, except on Sunday night's game against the Raptors. This game, this game was a truly team effort. Steph had one of his worst shooting nights, definitely his worst shooting night of the season, I believe. I don't believe he's had a worse game than this. He was, I'll tell you right now some of these numbers. Steph was... Two for, two for 16, one from 10 behind the arc. He only had a total of, he had a total here of 11 points. But the real, the real tail of the tape for him was in assists. Six assists and a total of 30 assists from the team, which I know is something you want to talk about as well. This was truly a team effort. And now, and this was the first game of the season, that they've won where Curry was under 30. And I just thought it was a huge landmark. And again, we're seeing this team slowly evolve and begin to mesh. And they were all over him. Even when, even even though Steph had a bad shooting night, the, the, the stats don't really fully, re, fully reveal everything. Because if you watch that game, they were double and triple teaming him the entire night. They threw a lot of looks at him and they beat him up up and down that court. And I just thought overall, this was a really great, it was a great defensive effort by the team and a great team win. Once again, Bazemore, Wiggins, Pascal coming through big, Damian Lee coming through big, and just a really, really great game. Tell me what you thought about this Raptors game. Uh, as you already alluded to, the big stat that stood out to me was the assists. Um, Three-point shooting was not the strength of this game. They shot a dismal, and I mean dismal, 28% from beyond the arc. Just horrible. Uh, I mean, the, the, the Raptors didn't fare any better at 34%, and they're more of a volume three-point shooting team. But that was 13 out of 46 attempts on our end. So 
we had the the horrible volume and a horrible percentage. But to me, it was ball movement, which is very, very much Warriors basketball. So it's played right into Steve Kerr's typical bread and butter, which is get the ball moving, constant movement around the court, it creates creating shots through movement uh, with your body and all the movement with the ball. So I thought that that was terrific. Uh, blocks, each team had 10 apiece in this game. So lots of def- a good defensive effort on both sides of the ball here. I thought it was great. And the Warriors actually got blasted in the fourth quarter. They led most of this game. They had a, a 15, 17-point lead at one point. They had a big, a couple of big leads in this game and really let it fall apart in the fourth. So would love to see them hold on to those leads a little bit better, kind of similar to the way they did against the Kings where Curry didn't even have to play in the fourth quarter. Um, so, I mean, 33-19 to 19 in the fourth quarter, but it, and it, but it was just that one point that really made the difference. And then, of course, it was defense that ended this game at the last contended shot, contested shot by the Raptors to try to uh, win it at the buzzer. Um, so again, I think def- defense was the big story in this game, in addition to ball movement on the offensive side of things. Even though a majority of those assists came in the first half, I believe two-thirds of those were the first half, but still, the fact that they are getting into that, that's you know indicative of Warriors basketball, which is beautiful basketball when it's done right. Uh, probably the best in the NBA, in my opinion. Uh, at least when the old when the when the championship teams were doing it, but this team can certainly get there. We'll just have to see how it goes. But I, I liked a lot what I saw today from the or to that night from the Warriors, and they're six and four. I'm very happy with that. That that's great. For I expected them to be like one and six at this point, or one and five. So the fact that they are six and four is very encouraging. By the way, the Raptors are two and seven. Um, so. Beating a team that won the championship no more than two years ago um, and keeping them, you know, exposing them for their weaknesses and taking advantage of that. That's great. Even though they won by the hair on their chinny-chin-chin, a win's a win. A win's a win. But as I mentioned last year, I said if they were not able to go back-to-back, which I predicted they wouldn't all the way back in 2019, I said I hope they enjoy this one year because – all they're really going to be is a footnote in the 10-part Golden State Warriors documentary. That's pretty much <laughs> going to be their legacy after this. So have, it was a great run. Have fun. This is back to you know business as usual for the Raptors. All right, Raymond. Now it's time to move on. It's a little bit of playoff talk here. Playoff eliminator pool that I was in last week. Let's make the move, baby. All right. So as our Goldcast empire knows... I am in a playoff eliminator pool. And last week on this episode, on the video and audio version of this podcast, we decided to go with the Seahawks. Well, I'm not sure what happened, but Saturday morning, I had a weird feeling, Ray. And I said, you know what? I'm going with the uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And what a great decision that ended up being. That's right. You made a last-minute change there, and that proved to be a good one. Uh, I'm surprised that Seattle gave up a blunder. They're usually a pretty surefire selection to go to the at least the divisional. Well, let's talk about that, Ray. Let's unpack our, our, our rivals just for a quick second here. You went through the list of their final games of the season last week and were not very impressed. And we kind of felt all year that this team was, you know, a little a little suspect. But again, I went through I went through uh, last week just for fun, Raymond. And I looked at their entire playoff run of the last 10 years outside of the two Super Bowl uh, appearances they had back to back. 
the Seahawks have not gotten past the divisional round the entire decade. Of all their other appearances, they've never gotten past it. And they've lost in the wild card, I believe, twice. So this is a team already that really, really struggles once they get into the post. They always look good during the regular season. They're great at scheming against uh, our uh, gets the, the rest of the NFC West, but do not fare nearly as well once they get into the post. And this was another typical season. All right, Raymond. So here we are, though. We now are moving into the second round of the playoff pool. The Buccaneers, I've chosen them. They're out. So if they make a run from this point forward, I cannot use them anymore. Here are the remaining uh, teams of which I can choose from. In the AFC side, we have the Chiefs and the Browns going head-to-head. We also have the Bills and the Ravens going head-to-head. Next up from there, we have the Packers and the Rams. And then, of course, last, the Saints and the Buccaneers. That has got to be the coolest game. I mean, who doesn't want to see Tom Brady versus Drew Brees in the divisional round of the playoffs uh, this week coming up? That has to be the game. That's the game I'm most excited for. I want to see this matchup. Go Drew. Go Drew Brees. Go Tampa. (laughs) All right. So, anyways, right, uh, I don't really care who wins, (laughs) to be honest, but I am rooting for, for Tom Brady. I love Tampa Bay. All right. Raymond, so let's go. Let's break this down. Let's break this down strategically. Uh I think I don't want to pick the Bills or the Chiefs because I'm pretty sure both these teams are going to be in the AFC Championship. So I want to stay away from the Bills and the Chiefs. I agree. AFCs are those games are a little bit more surefire, although I think the Bills are going to have a tougher time against the Ravens and the Chiefs will against the Browns. I agree. I totally agree. Um, but I believe that one of those two teams is probably going to the Super Bowl. Uh, I mean, one of those two teams is going to the Super Bowl, either the Bills or the Chiefs. We've got Saints, Buccaneers, Packers, Rams. Packer Rams won last week behind a really solid defense, even though Aaron Donald didn't play in the fourth quarter. Uh, Jared Goff was serviceable enough to get them through and upset the Seahawks. And then, of course, we've got the big matchup between the Saints and the Buccaneers. I also believe that the Saints and the Buccaneers is probably the one you stay away from. I only have one choice, the Saints. That's going to be a pretty tight game. Uh, I am really looking at the Packers and the Rams. This is the game that I feel is really where I want to go, and I'm leaning towards the Packers. What are your thoughts on this? I think it really depends on the health of Aaron Donald. I mean, he didn't practice this week. Cooper Cup didn't practice this week. So I think feel like they're going to be going into this game a little hobbled. We'll have to see how the rest of the injury report works out for these guys. But if they're not 100%, then I'd give the edge to Green Bay. I think Green Bay is a pretty safe bet against this team. They're rested, although the one thing that could happen is the fact that, you know, the – Green Bay historically struggles against uh, NFC West teams. So uh, that that's something that could backfire. But out of all these or contests. Or just really, really strong defenses. Yeah, so, and so I, I'm not sure here. So let's talk about a little bit about uh, what, what Vegas is saying here. Let's take a look at Vegas here. So right now, this game will be taking place on Saturday at 1.35 Pacific Standard Time. The spread it, Vegas has Green Bay at six and a half favorites or minus six and a half with a total under of 45.5. The betting public right now is 80-20 in favor of Green Bay. 
On top of that, let's look at some uh, let's look at some trends here. Let's look at some betting trends. Uh, the Packers. The last time the Rams defeated these uh, this team was in 2018. So it's been quite a while since they've played. Green Bay is five and one straight up in the last six games against the Rams. Okay, the Rams are six and three against the spread in their last nine games. Six and three is pretty good. That means they're they're usually hitting that spread pretty solid. Uh, the total has hit the under in four of the la- of the Rams' last five games. Green Bay is four and two against the spread in their last six games. Green Bay is six and zero oh straight up in its last six games. Here's some stats: the Rams are averaging twenty three point six points per game this season. That is tied for twentieth in the NFL. The Rams are surrendering. 18.6 games per season this season points per game this season that's tied for first in the NFL. Green Bay is averaging 31.8 points per game this season. That is first in the NFL. Green Bay is surrendering 23.6 points per game this season that is 14th in the NFL. This is a basically number 1 defense going against a number 1 offense. Typically Typically, this means the defense usually wins. But in the modern NFL, I no longer believe that to, that to be the case. I'm leaning towards Green Bay, but I think I'm going to make my final decision on Thursday's episode of the Gold Cast. It'll give us some time to stew on it. I'm going to look at the, the numbers. But right now, as it stands, Raymond, I'm leaning towards Green Bay. Okay, uh, so what say you, Goldcast Nation? Who do you think I should bet for in this eliminator pool? Do you think Green Bay is the solid bet? Uh, I, uh, I I feel like uh, Chiefs and the Chiefs and Chiefs and Bills. You just have to stay away from in the divisional round. You know, I think Bills. I think Bills are going to win. I think the Chiefs are going to win. I think Green Bay is going to win, and I am rooting for the Bucks. Uh, it's hard to beat a team three times. Uh, in a row in one season. So I am rooting for the Bucks. I haven't made my decision on who I think is going to win that game, but uh, we will see. And then, of course, I want to hear from the Goldcast Empire. What are your thoughts on the Warriors' current record of 6-4? and four? They're playing tonight, so probably by the time you hear this, uh, their record will have changed. Um, but, Ray, so concludes. Uh, anything else to say before we wrap? No, just a good luck to everybody on Sunday. I could care less when the Niners are not involved, but thus this is a little fun little contest, and so I think it's going to be Chiefs, Bills, and it's going to be Saints and Green Bay in the playoffs in the, in the NFC and AFC championship games. That's what I think it's going to be. Could be wrong. There was a lot of there was a lot of upsets that happened during Wild Card Weekend that I didn't expect to happen. I didn't expect the Ravens to get past the Titans. And I didn't expect uh, the Browns to thump the Steelers as 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 well as they did. Although I guess it kind of, I mean, they were missing coaches, but Steelers were just too darn banged up and just could not sustain anything. And it was too little, too. Late. And Roethlisberger is, Roethlisberger's done. He's done, those which is sad because I like him. He's always he's always been a fun player to watch. And good luck with uh, what's his name, Mason Rudolph? Is that his name? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think I don't know. <laughs> uh, and so concludes another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the Voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa Third, and with me is my brother, my co-host, Raymond Salisa First, baby. Boom. We'll see you next time. Same Gold Cast time, same Gold Cast channel. 
This is, this is the Gold Cast. <laughs>